0: His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. are listening to his and hers horror my name is Tia and I'm David and welcome to the first episode of 2021
1: wow that's that's fun to say
0: 2021
1: yeah 2021 yeah mm. it feels nice S- so far
0: I mean I also haven't left the house since last year yeah.
1: Yeah, fair enough. But um, you know that that could be the case for a lot of people, and not just going using that whole "see you next year," which is actually just you know a few days when you tell your coworkers that. But
0: oh man, I feel like I haven't seen you in like a year.
1: Yeah. Well, in in this situation, there are a lot of folks I haven't seen. That's any, actually
0: over, valid. over That's a-, <laughs> a year. Yeah.
1: Most of my coworkers, I haven't seen in almost a year.
0: Fair, I so. I can understand that statement. So this is a very special episode, not just in it being our first episode of twenty twenty one.
1: Wait, don't tell me, is a kid stuck in a fridge? No, no one.
0: Okay, <laughs> no <laughs> one that. is no one is stuck in a fridge. Nobody accidentally joined a cult.
1: Oh, that not so not that kind of very special episode.
0: No, not that kind of very special episode. No, it's uh, so. In addition to this being our first episode of 2021, this is also the episode that will come out closest to my birthday.
1: Well, there you go. So this is your birthday episode. This is
0: my birthday episode. So if you guys remember, we did David's birthday episode back in September. He mm-hmm. got to choose a topic. He chose demonic possession. So I chose for my birthday episode, the Salem Witch Trials.
1: So there which, you have it.
0: Yeah. So I, I was raised Catholic But I left the church when I was in my 20s and now I identify, religiously speaking, I identify as Wiccan. And and looking back, I kind of feel like there's some movies and stuff that I watched when I was a kid that kind of began to fuel that fire. And I'll get into that later. Okay. But one of the things, a topic that I always find very interesting is the Salem Witch Trials. I actually did a paper in college about the parallels between the Salem Witch Trials and... McCarthyism, which is a very obvious. I mean, Arthur Miller did a whole damn right. play. Right. So, Exactly. So I wanted to use um, this opportunity to talk about the events. Uh, there were a couple events leading up to the witch trials and then the trials themselves and, and the aftermath. Cool. And including maybe some, some possible theories as to why they happened. Okay. So we don't have a This Week in Horror this week again. It's that kind of season though.
1: Not a whole lot coming out. Not up. a
0: whole lot is coming out. The only stuff we've watched recently has been stuff for upcoming episodes. Oh, except we did watch Wonder Woman 1984. Yes, which was I thought was good.
1: Yeah, it it had it had some some flaws, but if you look at it from the the take of an overall message, and think about it as would this have been plausible as a comic in the 1980s? Absolutely.
0: Fair. So uh, yeah, go ahead and watch that if you have an opportunity.
1: Not horror, but it's good.
0: Yeah, but it's good. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into it. So there were a couple of of events that preceded the Salem Witch Trials that Mm -hmm. kind of allowed things to happen the way that they did. So in 1688 and 1689, the behavior of several children in the home of the Goodwin family in Boston resulted in some witchcraft accusations, specifically against their washerwoman. A woman known as Anne or Goody Glover. So, Cotton Mather, actually, that same year
2: mm-hmm.
0: published Memorable Providences Relating to Witchcrafts and Possession, which included an account of the Goodwins and their witchcraft accusations against Anne Glover. Okay. And then that November, Samuel Paris was named the new minister of Salem, and he moved basically to Salem from Boston, which is where the memorable providences was published and where this whole thing with the Goodwin family was actually widely publicized. So keep that in mind, Mm. basically. And then in 1691, basically once Paris showed up in Salem, nobody really liked him and they kind of made it, they've basically vowed to drive him out and stop contributing to his salary. Mm. So they're like, we don't like you. We don't want you here in the first place. So whatever, whatever, we put money into, so you get paid. We're gonna stop doing that. Is essentially what certain people did, which to me, it sounds like motive. So, considering that the initial accusations and stuff came from two people very closely connected to him, it seems a little suspicious,
2: right? Right. For me. Yeah.
0: Because it's almost like he was like, "Well, how can I make myself seem like I'm more necessary and important than I really am?"
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So. 1692 is the year that pretty much everything happened. It's actually insane because you think about something like the Salem Witch Trials, and if I were to ask you how long it went on for, like, not you, you, because I'm sure you know, no. but the average person would probably think it went on for a while.
1: Right, because they'd be equating it with things like the Spanish Inquisition, which is also heavily misunderstood. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it it's really easy to take something that took place over a period of time centuries ago and say oh that was that was years wasn't it
0: it actually yeah but that's the thing is that it actually wasn't the entirety of the salem witch trials is about a year and a half Mm. so yeah
1: i mean i i get time dilation look at last year
0: fair (laughs) and i actually didn't know this the initial symptoms and accusations also started in January. Hmm. So that ties in to...
1: This is January.
0: Exactly. So January 20th of 1692, 11-year-old Abigail Williams and 9-year-old Elizabeth Paris, who were Samuel's niece and daughter, respectively, began behaving in much the same way as the Goodwin children had acted. And then other girls started to follow in suit, basically acting really weird there were a total of seven officially listed as afflict, as basically afflicted mm-hmm. girls elizabeth booth who was 16 elizabeth hubbard who was 17 mercy lewis 16 elizabeth paris i already mentioned was nine ann putnam was 13 mary warren was 18 and then abigail williams like i said was 11 mm-hmm. they all exhibited kind of the same symptoms and it's some of the stuff I feel like would be easy to fake. I feel like you can, you guys can already probably already tell exactly what my opinion is and where I'm going with certain things of this nature. But you know, we'll get there. So symptoms of witchery, in quotes, witchery,
2: mm-hmm.
0: included convulsions and contorting themselves into quote peculiar positions, outbursts of screaming and speaking in tongues, pricking sensations as though they they said that they felt like they were being stuck by pins or needles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Hallucinations and throwing things and crawling under furniture. Okay. Yeah. In mid-February, a local doctor, nobody is exactly sure who, but historically it's assumed to be uh, Walter Griggs, I believe is his name. He looks at the afflicted girls and doesn't find any physical evidence of sickness. He doesn't, like, there's obviously something wrong with them, but he can't find a root cause. Mm Mm-hmm. And so finding no physical evidence of any sickness, he's just like, I don't know, maybe it's witchcraft, mm. which, great doctor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, he's already set up for just doing Google searches of symptoms because, you know, where website always says, maybe it's cancer.
0: Ye old web WebMD.
1: <laughs> yeah, ye old web WebMD. Maybe it's witchcraft. Really? Just, I've got this ache right behind my ear. Oh, that's witchcraft.
0: I have a headache and itchy eyes. My throat closes up, and it only happens when I eat peanuts. Probably witchcraft. (laughs) Uh, So February 29th, based on several formal complaints from prominent figures in the community, Magistrates John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin issue warrants to arrest Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and uh, Tituba. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Tituba being the slave of Samuel Parris. Basically, they were arrested specifically for afflicting Elizabeth Paris and Abigail Williams and Putnam and Elizabeth Hubbard. And of these three, the only one that actually confesses and says, yeah, I'm a witch or confesses to the witchcraft accusations is Tituba. Okay. but here's the thing. Like, she was also a slave, so I can't imagine her treatment. Historically, the treatment of people suspected of witchcraft has not been great. So I can't imagine that the suspicion of witchcraft on someone who was a slave was any better. So I imagine she was probably, she was probably tortured.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm sure she was,
0: she was whipped at the very least. Yeah. And when you look at it, like a lot of the psychological research, Mm -hmm. confessions that are gained under duress or under torture typically are bullshit. They're basically just saying what you want to hear. In order to get the pain to stop. Right. So after she confesses, she a ton more accusations come through, not just from the afflicted girls, but from other prominent townsfolk and the accused themselves. Because a lot of the times when they were doing these interrogations, they're like, well, surely you didn't work alone. Who helped you? Who else might be? And of course, everybody, from what I could tell, would throw out at least one other name. So in April... One of the accused, one of the afflicted girls, Mary Warren, she actually admits that she's lying. Hmm. She comes forward and she's like, no, I've been making this up. None of it was really true. The other girls are just making it up also. And you would think that because she was one of the oldest, that this would click something in the brains of the townsfolk and be like, oh, maybe all these girls are just full of it. No, not at all. Because the other girls all start accusing her of being a witch. They're like, oh, you're not going to go along with us anymore. Well, guess what? You're a witch now, too. And she quite quickly after that, following extensive questioning, confessed to also being a witch and started accusing people again, including her employees are not employees, employers, John and Elizabeth Proctor. Wow. Yeah. John Proctor was actually the first man arrested for witchcraft during the Salem witch trials. Cool. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Uh, so in May... The Massachusetts governor, Governor Phipps, he organized what was called the Court of Oyer and Terminer. So Oyer means to hear and Terminer means to decide. Yeah. Basically, this court was formed to formally indict, try and convict those accused of witchcraft. Uh, most of the people tried between that point. So May 19 or not 19, May 1692 and October of that same year were found guilty and hung, hmm. basically pretty quickly. Several women, including Elizabeth Proctor, were actually given stays of execution because they were pregnant at the time. And I think I feel like pretty consistently that's something that if you're going to put someone to death, you and they're pregnant, you you wait.
1: Generally, because
0: I know that was what happened with um, Anne Bonnie also, yeah. and I'm sure that's happened multiple other times throughout history. There were actually two babies born in jail. Wow. Yeah. While their mothers were awaiting execution and had gotten stays because they were pregnant, one of them actually died. it oh, sucks. One of the babies. Yeah. So in September of that year, and you might find this interesting. Giles Corey
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, was accused of witchcraft as well, and on September 16th, mm. actually, is when they started the pressing.
1: <laughs> seems seems legit.
0: So so your birthday historically. <laughs> is the day that they started putting weight on Giles Corey. Because basically what they had done, Giles Corey was accused of witchcraft along with his wife. And typically what would happen is when someone was arrested and was accused and arrested, they would enter a plea of either guilty or not guilty. And then they could, you know, start the trial process and, and the actual, everything could happen, basically. But they had to enter a plea for that to happen when Giles Corey was arrested, he refused to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. He's like, I'm just not going to say anything.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to take part in your bullshit.
0: Exactly. He was like, this is fucking stupid and I'm doing it. So they actually decided to try and get him to enter a plea through torture. And the torture they chose was pressing, which basically is when someone is laid on a flat surface. Mm-hmm. And they have a couple of boards placed on top of their chest. And more and more weight typically rocks are added to those boards right and it basically it's a slow crushing process Mm -hmm. so basically the court subjected him to pressing to force him to plead guilty or not guilty for three days and he refused to basically say anything except for there is documentation that he probably did actually say either more weight or more rocks
1: Mm. but yeah good on good on you arthur miller
0: But he finally, he finally succumbed to the torture on the 19th of September. Hmm. And that was actually one of the two things that kind of led to people really looking at the Salem Witch Trials and being like, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Because there were so many witnesses Mm -hmm. to his, you know, torture, and they didn't understand if he was guilty or not guilty, why he wouldn't just say so. It didn't make any sense to them, basically. One of the other things that kind of led to the witch trials sort of winding down, I guess, if you could say, Mm -hmm. October 3rd, the Reverend Increase Mather.
1: Hey, I'm related to that person.
0: (laughs) That's right. You are, aren't you? Yep. No, you're fine. He, he, no, he actually is one of the voices of reason in this, which is weird, but okay. So, Increase Mather, who was president of Harvard College and father of Cotton Mather, mm-hmm. denounced the use of what he called spectral evidence in witch trials. So, basically, anything that couldn't be proven, proven, I, I, I guess. Like,
1: if you can't present it in front of somebody. <laughs> yeah,
0: so, like, seeing something in a hallucination, or if you say, oh, I saw this in a dream, well, that couldn't count, in a witch trial as as spectral it was considered spectral evidence it couldn't really be proven and this actually led to some changes in the witch trials interestingly enough cotton mather had actually warned of the quote dubious value of spectral evidence uh, but his concerns were largely ignored by the people in charge of the salem witch trials increase mather actually later joined his son in urging that the standards of evidence of witchcraft must be equal to those for any other crime, concluding that, quote, it would be better that 10 suspected witches may escape than one innocent person be condemned.
2: Yeah.
0: Which, yeah, of course.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so amid waning public support for the trials, Governor Phipps actually dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer and basically mandated that whatever successing court they would create was not to consider spectral evidence. Basically, they were to disregard anything that couldn't be proven. So then in 1693, in January again, mm-hmm. <laughs> Phipps forms the Superior Court of Judicature to try the remaining accused who hadn't already been tried, found guilty, and killed. Most of the remaining ones were actually found not guilty.
1: Well, I'll be. You I use know. reason and science, and you, you come up with... a. Uh you know, consistent, solid result.
0: I know exactly. By May Phipps had pardoned and released almost all of the remaining people that were in prison on witchcraft charges. I think one of the last Tituba was one of the last people released, if I remember correctly, Mm. which that tracks, honestly, with the way, again, with the way slaves were treated, because this was only in the 1600s. So all told, when it comes to the aftermath of the Salem witch trials, More than 200 people were accused Mm. of witchcraft in just over a year. Good grief. And that's from, that's from, because let me see, the actual accusations didn't start until like February of 1692. So from February to May of the following year, Mm -hmm. it's over 200 people. Right. 30 were found guilty. 19 of the 30 found guilty were executed by hanging five more died in jail. And then there were other people that were believed to have been accused and and otherwise escaped for whatever reason. Well, and then you got the
1: Giles Corey, you got. Right. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, So in January of 1697, the Massachusetts general court declared a day of fasting for the tragedy of the Salem, witch trials.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers works every time.
0: Uh, So the court later deemed the trials unlawful, And the leading justice Samuel Sewell publicly apologized for his role in the process.
2: Mm, Okay. As
0: as far as I know, all he did was apologize. I don't know if anything ever, anything else ever happened. In 1711, the uh, Massachusetts colony actually passed legislation restoring the good names of the condemned and providing financial restitution to their heirs. Cool. So people who, because typically people who were accused of witchcraft their property was seized right and so there were a lot of people who had lost their homes their livelihoods everything in addition their land. to in addition to losing family members right yeah so some people actually prior to this 1711 legislation had actually successfully sued to have their stuff returned but 1711 was when they did that, that official legislation cool and then in 1992, that marked the 300th anniversary of the Salem Witch Trials. There's actually a memorial park that was built and dedicated in Salem. Uh, it includes uh, stone slab benches that are inserted in the stone wall uh, for each of those that was executed in
2: 1692.
0: Hmm. Uh, speakers at the ceremony included Arthur Miller, who, of course, wrote The Crucible. Right. And uh, Nobel laureate and Holocaust survivor Elie Weisel. Wow. I that was cool
1: yeah it is pretty cool
0: so let's talk about possible causes sure there's one main one right. although this one is kind of it's debated still okay. there's evidence there's good evidence for it but there's just as much good evidence against it if that makes any kind of sense sure are you familiar with ergotism
1: yeah it's grain based
0: it is it is grain based so ergot is a is a fungus typically grows on wheat rye i don't know if it's possible corn. that it can grow i think it can grow on corn uh or there's a similar kind that grows on corn basically it it depends on like the area so it because you know with a fungus it's moisture based so depending on how it's stored and and the area that it's grown it can occur in various ways so some of the physical symptoms of um ergotism which is basically what happens when you accidentally ingest this fungus Physical symptoms include crawling and tingling sensations, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: vertigo and tinnitus, convulsions and muscular contractions, vomiting and diarrhea and headaches, whereas the psychological symptoms include hallucinations, mania and melancholia, psychosis and delirium.
1: Check, 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 check and double check.
0: Exactly. So this medical explanation for the theory of, quote, bewitchment was actually first propounded by Linda R. Caporel. C-A-P-O-R-A-E-L, Caporal, in 1976. So she published an article in Science Magazine basically saying that the typical symptoms of ergotism were all reported in the Salem Witchcraft records. So the convulsions that the girls were were experiencing, the prickling sensations, like a, a lot of the stuff that they said they had that was being attributed to witchcraft are classic symptoms of ergotism. Right. She also states that there was an abundance of rye that was grown in the region and that as well as climate conditions could support the tainting of the rye.
1: There's a book title for you. The tainting of the rye. (laughs) It's the taming of the shrew, but tainting and catcher in the rye, but no catcher. Yeah. Fair. Eh, Yeah. It's a work in progress. So in uh,
0: 1982 historian, Mary Matosian actually agreed with, she brought this theory up again in an American Scientist article, and she argued that symptoms of bewitchment resemble the ones exhibited in those afflicted with ergot. Right. So she basically, two different people have said one, the historian, one scientist have said yes, this is probable cause. Yeah. Unfortunately, some other scientists and historians have said maybe, but probably not, mm. because one of one of the reasons was, ergotism was already a known illness at the time. And so, a lot of historians believe that it would have been recognized as ergotism.
1: Even though they believed that...
0: That's my thing. That was like,
1: I mean, they're, they're, they're listening to spectral evidence and executing people based on something that someone dreamed or, or thought they saw.
0: Right. Not only so, that, they're like, oh, they would have recognized what ergotism is. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but their only doctor also said, I don't know, maybe it's witches. So...
1: Couldn't he not read, too?
0: There, there is or he couldn't write he could, There is a theory, yeah, it's likely that Based on, on the way education was at the time That he could read but couldn't write
1: hmm. Good luck getting a prescription from that doctor
0: But, well, and the other thing is There are other symptoms of ergotism that the girls didn't have
1: hmm. Like
0: blackening and right. disintegrating fingertips They yeah. apparently didn't have that But you know what, how many illnesses are there Where a person gets some of the symptoms But not all of them Fair Another sickness that is purported is uh, encephalitis lethargica, which is sleeping sickness.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah, there's not a whole lot of evidence for that one. The ergotism is much more likely.
1: Well, plus with encephalitis lethargica, basically you turn into a living statue. Essentially, I mean, I mean, yes. I mean you're you're comatose or you just you 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 sleep until you're dead.
0: Yeah, it's not a. It's typically not the other things like the convulsions and the
1: mm-hmm.
0: not. They're not part of that. My other favorite theory, and the one that I believe the most, is that uh, people just fucking suck. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, if if a surefire way to get a rival or someone you don't like, because, I mean, let's face it, no matter how close any of us are to, you know, bodhisattva status, you know, we all know at least one person that, as much as we know we're supposed to like them or be nice to them, they just suck.
0: Well, and so here's... This is the theory, what I call the people just suck theory.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's something that a lot of psychologists believe was the result. It's largely believed that a lot of the accusations could have been due to jealousy, spite, or revenge. Yeah. Specifically, so I mentioned Ann Putnam.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Her father, Thomas, she, basically she and her father were responsible for 105 of the accusations alone.
1: So... They were just a couple of nardy assholes.
0: Most... Well, and most of the accusations they made were against a rival family. Fucking hell. So, Thomas Putnam, his family was... His father was extremely wealthy. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he was excluded from major inheritances from his father's estate. And his half-brother who had actually benefited quite a bit from those inheritances, had married into this rival family, the Potters. Mm. Not Potters, uh, Porters.
1: Oh, man, I was hoping it was Potter, because then I could be like, scared, Potter.
0: It was Porter, I'm sorry.
1: Okay, so the Porters.
0: And and then later, when the witch trials were happening, most of the accusations that Thomas and his wife and his daughter were making were against members of the Porter family. So
1: Maybe that's why he was left out of the inheritance, because he's an asshole. Because he was
0: a dick? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. There's another theory that the girls were doing this for attention or a way to feel powerful. Mm. There was a lot of, what was the theory I saw? Was, I think it was called projection. Because a lot of these girls, they're, they're teenagers, basically. Right. And a lot of the power in the community that most of it was from the men. But the little bit of power that women did have, it was all older women. Mm-hmm. Women who were specifically women who were married or widowed. Right. And if you look at the women who were accused, most of them were older women who were married or widowed. So there is a theory that maybe these girls were using the accusations that people because people were taking their accusations seriously. And they were using it as a way to kind of get back at these women that they had always felt kept them down Mm. to an extent or held more power over them than they thought they should. And then there's always greed. Yeah, because I'm sure because some some people definitely got land and got money from this shit. Because like I said, if someone was accused of witchcraft, their shit was no longer their shit. (laughs) Everything was taken. So there we go.
2: Yeah.
0: So that is all I have on the actual witch trials. Cool. I could have gone into it in a lot more detail, but it gets so it gets so bogged down. And there's so many names Mm -hmm. that I just kind of went with the basics There are a lot of documentaries out there if you want to look into it more. Fair enough. So now, because this, now we're going to talk about witches in cinema. Okay. Specifically, my favorite witch movies. Okay. Now, I have a caveat to this. All right. What's that? We're not going to be talking about The Craft. No. Number one, I don't, I, I don't like that movie. Okay. And I don't have the time or the patience to go into all the reasons I don't like it today. Fair. Plus, that's not how I choose to spend my birthday episode. Fair enough. Second, we're also not going to talk about any evil witch movies, because that's a topic for a whole other episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I want to get into that offensive trope at another point in time. Sure. So my favorite witch movies, they're basically cult classics, with the exception of one, which is barely a witch movie, and I'll get into that. Okay. So my first one is bed knobs and Broomsticks.
1: <laughs> hmm What? <laughs> no, I'm just acknowledging it.
0: So this, I feel like this is the movie that, one of the two movies that really sparked my interest in, like, witchcraft, and maybe, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. I always, I loved this movie growing up. I'm fairly certain I got it as a gift at one point and just wore the hell out of the VHS. So it came out in 1971, was directed by Robert Stevenson screenplay by bill walsh and don degrati uh but it was actually based on a book series by mary norton
2: okay uh
0: stars angela lansbury david tomlinson ian wayhill cindy o'callaghan and roy snart
2: <laughs>
0: i knew that would get some sort of reaction from you
1: isn't that when you sneeze and fart at the same time
0: yes uh, had a budget of $6.3 million, box office of seventeen point nine, which for, you know, early 1970s is not bad.
1: It's what, 50 years ago?
0: 1971?
1: Yeah. It's 2021 now.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. That's
1: 50 years ago.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, so the basic plot, an apprentice witch, three children, and a cynical magician slash con man search for the missing component to a magic spell with plans to use the spell in the defense of Great Britain during World War Two.
1: I mean a great way to uh support king and country
0: yeah so fun facts the opening credit sequence is actually an homage to the bayou tapestry which is a seamless linen cloth made in france during medieval times that tells the story of the norman conquest of england
1: Fair enough. which i thought was really cool that is pretty cool
0: julie andrews and lynn redgrave were both considered for the role of eglantine price
1: hmm. uh,
0: julie andrews actually she was initially offered the role and turned it down And then later reconsidered because she felt like she owed her film career to Disney. And then so when she went back to them to say, hey, I changed my mind, they're like, um, we've already cast Angela Lansbury. So sorry. (laughs) Fair enough. And this was also the last Disney movie to receive an Oscar until The Little Mermaid in 1989.
1: Well, there you go. Uh, It was not Disney, I guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, It was nominated for five, including Best Original Song. Uh, but it only won for best special visual effects. All right. Portobello road was not the song. Okay. It was the age of not believing. Sure. <laughs> uh, so the next one, practical magic. What? Nothing. Look, I hey, was, this is your I birthday episode. These are your favorites. I was 13 when that movie came out. I absolutely adored it. It's can,
1: a... can I at least tell you what I call that movie? Sure. Problematic magic
0: fair that is fair
1: <laughs> they dabbled in shit they had no business dabbling in
0: that is that is fair and i agree with you now <laughs> again i was 13 i really liked the movie i also read the book around the same age
1: plus why would you have heterochromia as one of your signifying things
0: as, oh as one of your signifiers of your true i don't fucking know because she, i think she was trying to think of things that would be impossible to, it's for all of them scientifically to be scientifically
1: possible it no happens. like like
0: all the combination of things would be impossible to have in one person mm. is what she was trying to do that oh. basically the love of her life would be this impossible person that could that could not exist essentially is what mm. she was trying to do, but yeah, anyway, moving on, uh, so the director was actually i didn't know this Griffin Dunn directed this, he was the friend in American werewolf in London oh. The guy cool. who got all torn up on the moors and kept haunting him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Griffin Dunn. That's the guy who directed this movie. Mm. Screenplay by Robin Swickard, Akiva Goldsman, and Adam Brooks. But like I said, it's based on a novel by Alice Hoffman. Right. Starring Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Diane Weiss, Stockard Channing, Aidan Quinn, Goran Vishnick, Margo Martindale. And I didn't realize this until today, very young ver- uh, iterations of... Evan Rachel Wood and Camilla Bell. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize this. Evan Rachel Wood plays one of Sandra Bullock's character's daughters. Hmm. Had a budget of $75 million, box office of 68.3. A lot of critics didn't like this movie. I think it has a Metacritic score of like 58. Yeah. Something like that. So the basic plot, two witch sisters raised by their eccentric aunts in a small town face closed-minded prejudice and a curse which threatens to prevent them from finding lasting love. (laughs) <laughs> you're just so annoyed <laughs> about this movie
1: that whole premise right there <laughs> like like if you're like hey what about this one I'd read that premise and go that eh, looks like garbage
0: okay I'm sorry
1: <laughs> it's one of the few times I totally agree with the critics
0: okay fair I only have two fun facts to, um, about this one, and then we'll move uh, no, on to a movie. You can that have a hundred.
1: Like. This is your episode. Babe. I only
0: have two, and then we'll move on to a movie that we both love. Okay. So, fun facts: the name of Sally's botanical goods shop is Verbena.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Verbena is a flowering plant that has long been associated with divine and supernatural forces.
1: Yeah, both regular and lemon kind.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually, I love the lemon verbena. Oh my god, it smells so good. <laughs> And the last fun fact I have for this particular movie, the black dog that follows Sally's husband around on the day that he dies. That is a reference to several cultural traditions, mainly those in the British Isles and Latin America, in which a black dog is seen as an omen of death. Right. Like black shucks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to the last movie movie that I have. The Autopsy of Jane Doe.
1: Okay, that was good. It that, was that good. Was, that, was a, that was a good piece.
0: I actually forgot it was a witch movie until I was doing research for this. And I'm like, oh, right. That's the whole thing. So The Autopsy of Jane Doe came out in 2016, directed by Andre Overdahl, screenplay by Ian Goldberg and Richard Nang, stars Emile Hirsch, Brian Cox, and Olwen Catherine Kelly. I don't know what the budget for this movie was. Right. Couldn't right. find it anywhere. Mm. Box office of $6 million. There you go. Which, since it has such a small cast and was filmed on, like, a small farm in Kent, I'm kind of hoping that really their, like, maybe their budget wasn't very big and this was actually, like, considered good box office.
1: I would hope so. I I mean, I mean, it's a fantastic movie.
0: It is really good. I watched it twice in one day.
1: Yeah, yeah, you did. Because you watched it by yourself and you're like, dude, you got to see this movie. I'm like, all right, I'm... Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, because I did our thing and I was like, this is so good, we have to watch it right now. So the plot. The corpse of an unidentified young woman, almost intact and exceptionally preserved, is found at the scene of a bloody multiple homicide. Sheriff Sheldon enlists the help of experienced coroner Tommy Tilden and his son Austin, entrusting them with the emergency autopsy of the Jane Doe with the cloudy eyes. Austin decides to stay with his father during the seemingly quiet night. However, the peat underneath the cryptic woman's fingernails, her severed tongue, and her completely shattered joints Strongly implied that this will be not be just another ordinary case. And the more they look into it, the more shit just gets fucking weird. Yeah. It's so good. Though. Oh, my God. I love that they used a real body.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it works.
0: Because they could have just used a fake. Yeah. But they picked Olwen Catherine Kelly. They picked her partly in because of her. She had a lot of experience with yoga. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. So she was very good at controlling her breathing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I just thought, oh, it's just so oh, it's such a good movie.
2: For
1: those who haven't seen it, no, they didn't. They didn't like actually vivisect her. No, but yeah.
0: Fun facts: uh, Martin Sheen was actually originally cast as Tommy, but had to drop out due to scheduling confla- conf- conflicts. <laughs> This was also Andre Overdahl's first English language film.
1: Neat. Because
0: before he had done the found footage film Troll Hunter. Yeah. That was his. Okay. This was also, uh, it was a Blacklist script from the 2013 survey. So for those who are unfamiliar, the Blacklist is an annual survey of the most liked motion picture screenplays that are not produced. They haven't been produced yet, basically. Uh, it's been published every year since 2005 on the second Friday of December by Franklin Leonard, a development executive who has worked at Universal Pictures, uh, as well as Will Smith's production company, Overbrook Entertainment. Okay. So basically, there's a survey that's sent around to studio and production company executives, and they're not necessarily the best screenplays, but they are the most liked screenplays that have yet to be produced. And of the like thousand that are on the list so far, a third of them have been made into films or television series. Cool. At this point, because Umbrella Academy was on the list at one point. Dexter was also on the list. Other specifically horror movies that were on the list. Zodiac.
1: Nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great film. Touristas. Mm. Zombieland. Jennifer's Body. Nice. Orphan.
1: Ooh. yeah, Yeah.
0: And The Vatican Tapes. Oh, there you go. And there are several movies that are on the blacklist that are like they're Academy Award winning films now. So like Argo was on the list. Mm. Uh, so was The King's Speech and Slumdog Millionaire. So it's not like these are bad scripts. They're just stuff that hasn't haven't been things that haven't been made yet basically.
1: So in a way you could almost say that this, this uh blacklist is what is our most want wish list for movies yeah. that don't exist yet.
0: Yeah, it's it's stuff people like. Granted, some of it's not because like like they said, it's not necessarily the best, they're the ones that we like.
1: And also keep in mind that these are the same type of executives that do all the meddling in movies and make them bad. So Fair. Maybe we shouldn't listen to them.
0: Well, it depends on the executive, honestly.
1: Mm, maybe.
0: Fair. But no, Autopsy of Jane Doe is very good.
1: Mm, yeah. uh, it
0: it was on Netflix. It actually went off recently, but it's one of the few that I would highly recommend. If you have to pay to rent it to watch it, I would do that. Yeah. The whole I'm going to go into spoiler territory. So if you don't want to know the whole thing and why this ties into witch trials, <laughs>
2: well, well, just see, bringing it up in we'll the see. episode.
0: Well, no, but like there's more detail yeah. in it, and I'm going to go into that detail. So if you don't want to know that. Skip ahead by like 10 minutes, I guess. 10 minutes? Or just, this is the end of the episode for you, I guess. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Bye, we love you.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, they're because they're doing this autopsy, and they're finding weird, weird things. So I mentioned, like, there's there's peat under her fingernails, yeah. and her tongue has been severed. There's weird contents in her stomach, mm-hmm. but they start to find... Stranger and stranger things. So, like, when they do the Y incision and peel back her skin, there's, like... Are they runes? I don't remember. Uh,
1: it's it's all inscribed. It's heavily inscribed. On, like, it on the
0: inside of her skin.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that goes beyond tattooing.
0: Yeah. And all of her joints are shattered, but when you look at her from the outside, it doesn't look like anything is wrong with her body. Right. It's her body is actually very clean considering, but they've, they soon discover, I think they, uh, they pe- find a piece of Leviticus, like some scripture from Leviticus or mm-hmm. a specific, I think it says the verse information. And basically what they end up figuring out is that this partic this woman was accused of witchcraft during the Salem witch trials. And essentially what they did to try and get her to confess was all this horrible, torturous shit. And in trying to get her to confess to witchcraft, they actually created a witch and a curse.
1: Well, they created the curse.
0: They created the curse. The the way that it's written and stuff I've seen, it says that they they basically they made her into a witch with what they did to her. Mm -hmm. And then that in turn led to her cursing them.
1: I don't like the expression of they made her into a witch. A witch is a choice.
0: I know. I I know. And I agree. They at least, they at least created the curse. Right. And the curse is then, is t- it's tied to her body. Right. Exactly. Like I said, it's minimal cast. There's really only a handful of people and it's very well shot. I just really love this movie. Yeah. It's so good. I'm going to own it. I'm going to have a copy at some point, but it's one of my favorites. One of the favorite movies that I watched. we watched this last year or the year before?
1: I I don't fucking remember. I want to say it was two years ago.
0: Yeah. But it's in my... It's probably in my top ten of all time when it comes to, like, horror movies. And it's not... It doesn't really lay into the gore a whole lot. I mean, there's the autopsy, but, like...
1: But it's very clinical. I I mean... I mean, it's clean. It's not slasher stuff, you know? If
0: you watch CSI, you've seen an autopsy. It's fine. So that... I have, I do have one more thing I forgot about. So the last thing I I mentioned that there's probably documentaries about the Salem Witch Trials. There is also a really good documentary on Netflix that is about other witch trials, specifically in Europe. So uh, there's a documentary on Netflix called uh, Witch Hunt, A Century of Murder. And it, like I said, it's this one historian and she basically, it's, it's uh, two episodes, each one's 45 minutes long. Uh, where basically she goes into other witch hunts in areas in, uh, I believe France and um, England around that time. Some of which are actually very interesting. Cause there was like one guy who went around and was like a witch finder. And I think he actually ended up being accused of witchcraft and, and suffering the same fate, which that's just karma. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> that's some rule of three bullshit that I absolutely love.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
0: All right. So I think that's going to do it for us this week. I, I, this episode was weird, but it's just because it's my birthday. I wanted to do something different. Yeah. So. I mean, it,
1: it, it's a fun little journey and, you know, yeah. it's fun to spend time with folks.
0: Uh, next week, we'll be doing our patron pick episode. Yes. That's going to be fun. And then we've already got a couple more things planned for January and early February. So, yay.
1: Good times will be had by all. Exactly. Or some. Or, I mean, you make you know, your own good times.
0: Whatever. I hope you guys are all having a great uh 2021 so far we're recording we're recording this on like the third so it hasn't gone hasn't been going on for that long but it's been good the couple of days that I've had of it
1: yeah Namely, yeah so far so good
0: sleeping sleeping in having coffee
1: <laughs> yeah good times
0: so you can find us on Twitter at h2 horrorcast you can email us at h2 horrorcast at gmail.com if you feel like supporting us uh, monetarily, you can do so by becoming a patron. You can find us at patreon.com H2 Horrorcast. As always, we want to thank our two uh, current patrons, Lizzie, a.k.a. Carnage Candy, and Teresa, a.k.a. my mom. We appreciate your continued love and support. Yes. If you are unable to support us in a Patreon kind of way, but you still want to do something to help us out, uh, you got a couple options. Yeah. You can uh, rate us on Apple podcast. If you listen to us that way, that helps us get up higher in the recommendations and the algorithms. And it looks really good for us. Um, the other thing you can do is just recommend us to your friends. If you know somebody who likes horror movies or random historical trivia occasionally, um.
1: <laughs> or who knows, maybe, maybe you want to recommend it because you like our vibe and you know, I mean, yeah, we're we're pretty okay folks
0: yeah get the word out if you want if you don't want to that's fine just keep listening and we'll appreciate that too yeah all right so that is going to do it for this week i have been tia
1: and i'm still david
0: and thank you for listening
1: bye music for this episode was out of time by shane ivers of silverman sound our artwork was created by katherine nixon